MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello. And welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, December 11th, 2020. Today, a panel at the FDA votes for authorization of the Pfizer vaccine. The director of the CDC instructed employees to cover up Trump's attempt to water down CDC reports. The inspector general blasts the Department of Veterans Affairs handling of a sexual assault report. An update on former Florida Department of Health employee Rebecca Jones's story after police raided her home with guns drawn. Facebook is being sued for antitrust violations. Ted Cruz offers to argue the Texas election lawsuit at the Supreme Court and an inside look at why Republicans are not opposing Trump's idiot sedition. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. A big show for you today. I'll be speaking with producer, writer, and director John Vanderpool about his documentary about his Trump-supporting family uh, and how to bridge that divide if you're into it. I'll also be chatting with former Department of Justice uh, official and White House aide, now law professor at Georgetown working at Just Security, Josh Geltzer. We're going to be talking about that Texas lawsuit. And, of course, it's Friday, so we'll have Amy Carrero here for the good news later in the show. And today we have our happy hour for patrons on Zoom. So if you want to become a patron of the show and, you know, get the you get these episodes ad free as a patron, you have access to our Zoom happy hours. We're going to be doing one uh, on Christmas. Is it Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Let me check that. Uh, It looks like Christmas Day, um, the night of. And then also we're going to be having one Thursday night, New Year's Eve. Uh, you'll also get book club episodes, bonus content. You get these. You get the Daily Beans episodes the night before they come out. You get my research notes, personal research notes. It's all kinds of stuff for just three bucks. So head to patreon.com slash wrote if you want to join up there. We have a lot of headlines to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, the lead story today is that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine passed a critical milestone today, Thursday, when a panel of experts formally recommended that the FDA authorize the vaccine. The agency is likely to do so within days, not weeks, but days now, and that will give healthcare workers and nursing home residents first priority to begin receiving the first shots. Um, that's going to be early next week. The FDA's vaccine advisory panel, which is composed of independent scientific experts, infectious disease doctors, and statisticians, voted 17 to 4, with one member abstaining in favor of emergency authorization for people 16 and older. So this vaccine will not be for people under the age of 16. With rare exceptions, the FDA follows the advice of its advisory panels. So this will probably go through. With a formal blessing, the nation may finally begin to slow the spread of the virus just as infections and deaths surge, reaching a record of more than 3,000 daily deaths on Wednesday, and that looks like it's going to be continuing. The Food and Drug Administration is expected to grant an emergency youth authorization on Saturday. That's according to people familiar with the agency's planning, though they caution that last-minute legal or bureaucratic requirements could push the announcement to Sunday or later. The initial shipment of 6.4 million doses will leave warehouses within 24 hours of being cleared by the FDA. That's according to federal officials. And about half of those doses will be sent across the country, while the other half will be reserved for the initial recipients to receive their second doses about three weeks later. 
And from Politico today, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Robert Redfield instructed staff to delete an email from a Trump political appointee seeking control over the agency's scientific reports on the pandemic. That's according to a senior CDC official who told congressional investigators this week. I'm willing to bet that that Trump political appointee was none other than Caputo, Um, that he's now out of the CDC. He was uh, put in as a comms director um, in Health and Human Services, I believe. Uh, I think that's probably who it was. Redfield's apparent instruction was revealed on Monday during a closed-door interview with the House subcommittee who was investigating the White House's coronavirus response, which includes the Trump administration's interference at the federal public health agency, the CDC. It came following an August 8th email sent by Paul Alexander, who was then the scientific advisor to the Health and Human Services spokesperson Michael Caputo. Oh, I was right. <laughs> I should read my own scripts. Uh, aiming to water down the CDC's famed morbidity and mortality weekly reports to align with Trump's efforts to downplay the virus, which we know he's been doing since February, since we got those Woodward tapes. Today, Biden said he will tap former Obama chief of staff Dennis McDonough to run the Department of Veterans Affairs. McDonough is not a veteran. And this sent ripples through veteran service organizations today. There were multiple qualified veterans being considered for this job, including Murphy, who would have been the agency's first LGBTQ secretary. And Tammy Duckworth, of course, was being considered for that position as well. Judge too, but I think he's going to be the ambassador to China. I have to look that up. I don't want to misquote myself. Actually, I wouldn't be quoting myself, but I don't want to have false information. Let's see here. Judge, ambassador. Do, 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 China. I was right. Okay. So that's going on in the, in the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I am, mm, as a former employee and as a veteran, disabled veteran, I really think it's important to have a veteran uh, who has gotten and received care at the Department of Veterans Affairs and has had a claim go through the Veterans Benefits Administration to head the agency. Um, I'm a little confused by this pick. I mean, I understand he's a, he's a good guy, but um, somebody really needs to understand how the VA functions. It's going to be critical uh, to see who Biden picks as the deputy secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, because there's already a high learning curve and to have a non-veteran there, it just doesn't make sense to me. But in a related story... After a nearly year-long investigation, Veterans Affairs investigators, the Inspector General, failed to confirm explosive charges that Secretary Robert Wilkie led a criminal campaign to discredit a veteran who reported a sexual assault at a department medical center. And we do have a trigger warning here. We might be talking a little bit about that assault. But investigators still blasted senior VA leadership for working to attack critics rather than pursue reforms. Quote, the tone set by Secretary Wilkie was at minimum unprofessional and at worst provided the basis for senior officials to put out information to national reporters to question the credibility and background of the veteran who filed the sexual assault complaint. This is according to the report from the VAIG. Wilkie called the report findings off base and politically motivated, saying that facts fully vindicate his leadership team's handling of the incident. He says, quote, the IG could not identify a single instance in which any VA employee violated any rule, regulation or policy. So apparently his policy is that it's cool to try to discredit somebody who's filing a sexual assault report. He also blasted the report as more dedicated to scoring political points than improving the department, a dynamic that has defined the inspector general's conduct throughout this investigation. 
It's pretty unheard of, by the way, to hear a secretary of an agency go after that agency's inspector general like this. The controversy stems from the department's handling of a sexual assault complaint in September of 2019 from a Navy reservist named Andrea Goldstein. That's a staffer of the House Veterans Affairs Committee. She reported being groped and verbally abused by a male veteran while she was in a public area of the Washington, D.C. Medical Center. Turns out the brand new cameras that were installed right there that would have caught the whole thing weren't functioning. Lawmakers demanded an independent investigation and reforms to the department's sexual misconduct prevention policies. Wilkie at the time promised to allow the IG to conduct an independent investigation, but disputed assertions that VA policies were at the heart of the problem. In February, the inspector general closed its investigation into Goldstein's accusations, saying they could not confirm or disprove them. And in response, Wilkie sent a letter to the congressional committee lamenting that the unsubstantiated claims hurt public confidence in the department. Last month, former Deputy Secretary of the VA, James Byrne, who was fired suddenly in February, publicly alleged that Wilkie viewed Goldstein's accusations as a political fight and worked behind the scenes to spread rumors to discredit her. Uh, Wilkie also lacked candor when he told the IG that he did not conspire with Texas Republican Dan Crenshaw as part of that discredit campaign that he was running. And we have quite an update on the Rebecca Jones story. If you remember, she was a former, former Florida Department of Health employee that was fired for refusing to falsify COVID numbers on the Department of Health's website. So she launched her own site from home and continued to keep people updated on the correct numbers. This week, a warrant was issued by a brand new baby judge, by the way, the first warrant he had ever issued. And her home was raided by cops with their guns drawn while her children were there. And they confiscated her equipment, alleging she illegally hacked a messaging service to send the Department of Health employees a message to tell them and urge them to speak truth to power and tell the truth about the real COVID numbers. Well, turns out that wasn't her. And access to that system was actually available to the public on the Department of Health website. So I hope she sues DeSantis and the police into the ground. And the Federal Trade Commission and more than 40 states have accused Facebook on Wednesday of buying up its rivals to illegally quash competition. And they called for the deals to be unwound, escalating regulators' battle against the biggest tech companies in a way that could remake the social media industry. Federal and state regulators of both parties, who investigated the company for more than 18 months, said in a separate lawsuit that Facebook's purchases, especially of Instagram for a billion dollars in 2012 and WhatsApp for $19 billion two years later, eliminated competition that would have uh, one day challenged the company's dominance. Since those deals, Instagram and WhatsApp have skyrocketed in popularity, giving Facebook control over three of the world's most popular social media and messaging apps. The applications have helped catapult Facebook from a company started in a college dorm room 16 years ago to an Internet powerhouse valued at more than $800 billion. The lawsuits filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia underscore the growing bipartisan and international tsunami against big tech. Lawmakers and regulators have zeroed in on the grip that Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple maintain on commerce, electronics, social networking, search and online advertising, and remaking the nation's economy. And in a hearing before the House Judiciary Committee last July, Zuckerberg was confronted with emails from around the time of the acquisition of Instagram and WhatsApp that showed Facebook that the Facebook founder, Zuckerberg, saw the companies as competition and a threat. Zuckerberg says that the acquisitions have not reduced competition and that the, his emails were taken out of context. I'm sure he was just talking about something else. And from the New York Times, last week, allies of President Trump accused Republican leaders in Pennsylvania of being cowards and liars 
and letting America down. Mr. Trump himself called top Republicans in the General Assembly in his crusade to twist the arms of officials in three states to reverse the election. The Pennsylvania lawmakers told the president they had no power to convene a special session to address his grievances, but they also rewarded his efforts. On Friday, the state House Speaker and the Majority Leader joined hard-right colleagues, whom they had earlier resisted, and called on Congress, Congress, to reject Biden's uh, uh, 81,000-vote victory in Pennsylvania. The extraordinary intervention by the president, the willingness of top party leaders to abet his effort to subvert the election— All this demonstrates how Trump's sway over elected Republicans is likely to endure even after he leaves office and how false claims of a rigged 2020 vote may inflame the party base for years to come. That's the plan. Always has been. That was the plan in 2016 if he lost. Courts across the country have summarily thrown out Mr. Trump's claims of a stolen election, but 64 Republicans in the General Assembly signed a letter last week urging Pennsylvania's congressional delegation to reject the state's electoral college votes for Biden. Kim Ward, the Republican majority leader of the Pennsylvania Senate, said the president had called her to declare there was fraud in the voting, but she said she had not been shown the letter to Congress, which was pulled together hastily before its release. And asked if she would have signed it, she indicated that the Republican base expected party leaders to back Trump's claims or face its wrath. She said, if I would say to you I don't want to do it, I'd get my house bombed tonight. That's the threat. It reminds me of what now Judge Gleason, John Gleason, then Prosecutor Gleason, told Weissman, Andrew Weissman, about Gotti, about the Gotti thing. He's like, we've got this in the bag when it comes to evidence. Where we could lose the case is if the jury is afraid or if somebody interferes or refuses to cooperate. Yeah. Despite that, more than 100 House Republicans on Thursday signed an amicus brief in support of the Texas lawsuit aimed at overturning the election results for Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. (sighs) The brief, quote, the brief presents our concern as members of Congress shared by untold millions of their constituents that the unconstitutional irregularities involved in the 2020 presidential election cast doubt upon its outcome and the integrity of the American system of elections. Hmm. Outgoing Republican Study Committee Chairman Mike Johnson, one of Trump's closest allies in the House, having served on his impeachment defense team, helped lead the effort to garner support from his GOP colleagues for the brief. Johnson is joining the GOP leadership team in the new Congress. Other key Republicans who signed the brief include Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, uh, Andy Biggs from Arizona. He's the chair of the Freedom Caucus. And Jim Banks from Indiana, the incoming Republican Study Committee chairman. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, another top Trump ally, is not among the signatories, ally, excuse me. Neither is GOP Conference Chairwoman Liz Cheney. McCarthy twice declined to comment to reporters Thursday when directly asked if he supported the Texas lawsuit, probably because he thinks his house would get bombed. The Electoral College meets Monday to cast their votes, with Congress slated to vote on certifying the results January 6th. It is tradition that the outgoing vice president read those results. That would be Pence. Gore did it when Bush took over. Biden did it in uh, 2016. So we'll see if Pence does it, and we'll see what uh, happens when Congress is supposed to vote on certifying that vote. 
And stick around. Next time I'm going to be joined by Josh Geltzer. We're going to discuss the Texas lawsuit and uh, talk about the Supreme Court a little bit. You won't want to miss it, so uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Fight Camp. Dun-dun. Fight Camp. I love Fight Camp. Everybody, I spend so much time at home. Uh, we all do right now. It's a struggle to stay active and in shape. The gyms are closed. I try to work out at home, but I get bored with the same exercise routine. So I'm looking for new workouts. And if you're looking for an exciting workout that's fun and challenging, never boring, you have to check out Fight Camp. It is so fun. Fight Camp is an at-home boxing and bodyweight workout taught by real fighters. And it's made for all levels, from first-time boxers to seasoned fighters. It's even great for kids. Kids love it. The boxing workout is always ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape. And it's one of the most fun ways to get a full-body workout. And you combine cardio and strength training while developing hand-eye coordination, too. And it helps you get out a little stress. Fight Camp provides all the gear you need. They have the gloves, the wraps, the best freestanding punching bag on the market, and their unique punch tracking sensors that allow you real-time progress and statistics on any iOS device. The workouts are structured like traditional boxing rounds with interval training. So it's that high-intensity interval training that really helps burn the fat. And three minutes of high-intensity boxing and bodyweight training and then one minute of rest. And you can access over 400 different workouts for all fitness levels with new ones every week. And you connect with Fight Camp on Facebook. They have over 4,000 members, so you can enter challenges and have a little healthy competition. And uh, watch yourself reach new milestones and bring the goal-crushing mentality to every part of your life outside of the Fight Camp. Fight Camp keeps you engaged, focused, and in the zone. They have an endless variety of uplifting beats, motivational trainers, powerful technology. It all combines to create a very satisfying workout. Fight Camp offers flexible financing, 0% APR. And right now, for a limited time offer, you can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money-back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com beans. That's right. You can try it for 30 days. If you don't love it, they'll refund your money. So train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. So try Fight Camp for 30 days. Just go to joinfightcamp.com beans. Again, that's joinfightcamp.com beans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by former DOJ lawyer in the National Security Division, former White House Deputy Legal Advisor to the National Security Council, Executive Editor at Just Security, and Law Professor at Georgetown, Josh Geltzer. Josh, welcome. How do you have time to even speak with me with all that going on? That's going to be the best part of my day, I can tell already. <laughs> it's great to talk to you again. Uh, and I have been dying to talk to you about this Texas lawsuit. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. I, lawsuit seems like a stretch. Um, tell us a little bit about it. This is from Texas and 17 other attorneys general, all from red states, have joined and Trump himself has joined with some errors in his filing. Uh, what do they, what, I can't even figure out what the basis of their legal opposition is to the the vote tallies in these four states. I think you're not alone in struggling to find a legal theory here rather than a political statement, a spread of disinformation. But if I try to stand it up as best I can, the claim is that in four states that went for president-elect Biden, there were voting irregularities. I think we would just call that allegations of voter fraud and moreover, that that was somehow enabled, facilitated, exacerbated by changes made to how voting was conducted in 2020 that uh, Texas and, and those supporting Texas in the suit uh, are arguing violates the Constitution because it was not done specifically and wholly and in every last detail 
by the legislatures of those four states. So you package up this idea of irregularities and fraud with the idea of somehow actors within the states uh, acting in ways contrary to their constitutionally assigned roles, and all of that is now being dumped on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court as a Hail Mary, or if there's something even more distant than a Hail Mary attempt to do what's ultimately overturning the, the popular will of America's voters. But, okay, what what does Texas argue gives it standing to file this lawsuit? I mean, I've seen so many things turned down for standing, like this, you aren't the right person to sue for this. Uh, I don't kind of I kind of don't understand, like maybe a disenfranchised voter uh, might be able to to file a lawsuit about not having their vote counted. And uh, we saw that in one of the Pennsylvania cases, I think, where, you know, where the the, the two voters uh, felt that their ballot. No, it was M- Michigan. Maybe they, they felt like they didn't get a chance to cure their ballots. And instead of having their ballots cured, they wanted to have everyone else's ballots uncured. Uh, what, but what gives Texas standing? Anything? Did they argue? Uh, not much in reality, but here's what they argue. What they argue, uh, at least as, as best I can, can present it, is that be, being part of a country in which a, uh, a president and a uh, vice president have been on Texas's rendering improperly put into office creates the sort of specific harm to the state of Texas that is necessary to overcome the Article Three, the constitutional requirement of there being standing. Now, that's not a standing argument. They can point to any U.S. Supreme Court case to vindicate. It's not a standing argument that um, many people think is, is accurate. But at least as I read their briefing, they say they are harmed by fellow states States whose sovereignty, I might point out, Texas in particular, is often the first to to pay homage to. But nonetheless, here they say, <laughs> fellow right, states, the whole of states ours right in the issues. union. That's right. Should those states should be barred from having the the will of their own states' voters carried out, at least as currently formulated, because it would harm the state of Texas in what that yields at the national level for for leadership. And just one more thing, I might add is before you even get to standing, your listeners might be wondering. How is this going directly to the to the Supreme Court? I mean, a lot of us kind of mocked um, President Trump earlier when he indicated he could just bring an election grievance to the Supreme Court. And the answer is there is in the Constitution uh, one of the two categories of original jurisdiction. In other words, uh, where you can start your case in the Supreme Court. One of those categories is when a state sues another state. The idea in our country's founding being that the Supreme Court would offer something of a neutral uh, forum for that rather than one state or the other getting a home field advantage in its own courts. But just because you can ask the Supreme Court to hear a case like that does not mean that the Supreme Court needs to, and indeed it declines to. So before we even get to a ruling that I think would would f- um, fall prey to standing and a bunch of other threshold problems for for, for Texas as a plaintiff, it is not at all clear. Indeed, I would say it's unlikely that the Supreme Court will entertain this as a lawsuit in the first place. Mm. Yeah, I've heard about latches. And I mean, you know, I'm no Ted Cruz, uh, but 
I it doesn't. I mean, the the Constitution gives states the rights to run their elections the way they want to. That's right. We have this system of of federalism that means various things, but in the election context, it means that states play uh, a very large role in administering elections that are, in fact, state elections in part. Right? We all have we see state uh, election choices on the ballot when we when we vote, but that also have federal election choices on them, and. To the extent there's there's a coherent constitutional theory here, it's one on which there was some debate before Election Day because it began to kind of poke up its head in some uh, opinions or, 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 or statements by particular justices or subsets of justices um, regarding some of the litigation that folks brought to the Supreme Court often on an emergency posture before Election Day. And there's a debate here over this notion of what it means for the legislature to be the one to set the rules within a state to um, carry out elections, including federal elections. And you and I have talked about this before. I, I am of the view, and I think others share this view, that uh, the Supreme Court has basically resolved this question. They've told us in an earlier case that when the Constitution says legislature here, it means state lawmaking process. And so just as in many areas of the law, state legislatures will set rules that state executives then need to implement and state courts then need to interpret because that's kind of how law works. But whatever the exact boundaries of this doctrine might prove to be, then this is a terrible, terrible way to bring it to the court <laughs> because the idea of overturning a bunch of states' results after there's been voting, after certification, after federal safe harbor day has passed, that that runs headlong into a bunch of, of uh, legal doctrines. Mm. Yeah, and... I brought up Ted Cruz. He's offered, uh, and Trump has accepted, for him to argue this in Supreme Court. I have a feeling the only reason Ted Cruz offered is because he knows he won't have to, and he's just pandering to the Trump base. I mean, that's kind of what I feel like. He's like, yeah, absolutely, I'll help you build a snowman in hell. Uh, it, it just seems disingenuous. It, it really does seem unlikely that, that this is going to yield actual oral arguments in, in, in the Supreme Court. And so whatever may be motivating that offer, it seems unlikely that it's one that will that will ultimately uh, come to fruition. And, and you know, the, the Supreme Court, um, and it's fresh in many people's minds, uh, 20 years ago, decided a case that we all knew would be outcome determinative for a federal election. But I, I can't emphasize strongly enough how different Bush versus Gore is from this case. I mean, first of all, the, the, the lay of the land, the lay of the country at that point was that a very small number of votes, astonishingly small number, would be the difference makers in one state, the state of Florida, that itself would be the difference maker for the country as a whole. And while many of us have views as to who was right and who was wrong and some of the the, the complex legal questions that went to the court in that case, and then the court ultimately came out 5-4, so there are obviously differing views there, that is a far, far cry from this effort by one state, now supported by one candidate and supported by a number of other states, to tell four states that the votes that they administered and that have been litigated extensively in state and federal courts within those states somehow those votes should not be counted and the Supreme Court should be the one to halt all of that. Hmm. That's really interesting. And and the Supreme Court in one case, right, um, where they just refused to hear um, refused to hear the case already. Now, um, just a couple of 
I have some speculation here. I was wondering what your thoughts are. First of all, it seems to me like Paxton, who's the attorney general in Texas, this seems this feels like a quid pro quo to me. This feels like he's angling for a pardon. Like he's be like he's filing this lawsuit that has absolutely no chance uh, to appease this president. And then also, you know, I'm I'm kind of wondering if because I'm I'm pretty sure that the Supreme Court will just not hear this case. We might see it just a, another one liner without any opinions attached. Just no. Um, but Trump could turn on his own su- Supreme Court. And that wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, it does seem like um, in the way President Trump talks about the court, talks about the, the justices he nominated in particular, that Trump has some sense that they are there to do his will. And all of us are entitled to agree or disagree with particular rulings, particular cases, particular votes by particular justices. But I feel very strongly that none of the nine justices view their jobs, their constitutional responsibilities that way. They are not there to do um, Donald Trump's bidding. They're there to to do law as best they see it in any particular case. And that is, is a wide gulf between him and frankly, the rule of law and the federal judiciary. It's a gulf we, we saw even in his campaign. I don't mean in 2020. I mean back in 2015, 2016 and the way he talked about judges. And regrettably, it's it's essentially been a rhetorical assault he's waged on the judiciary uh, ever since. So I, I do think that, that that he just thinks about courts um, differently and really out of step with, with the American tradition of, of viewing them as places that are not just extensions of politics, of political power, of rhetoric, and in this case, of of the spread of disinformation. But instead, they are places that 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 play a different function. That hear actual legal claims based on actual facts and actual law, and those are just not on on Donald Trump's side in this. No, they aren't. And we'll see what happens. I think I have a feeling uh, what's going to happen, and 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 you know, come back on, speak to us after that. Uh, although I don't think any of us will be surprised. Thanks so much, uh, Josh Geltzer, for joining me today. Always a pleasure to join you. Thanks so much. Everybody stay with us. We have writer, director, and producer uh, John Vanderpool right after this. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Plush Care. Everything is so crazy and uncertain right now. It puts things in perspective, and it reminds us that our health is the most important thing. And despite everything that's going on, it's still crucial to be able to see your doctor when you're not feeling well. And that's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments. And scheduling an appointment is easy. Even for the same day, I just pick a slot and click, and it's booked online. So I don't waste time on hold or sitting in crowded waiting rooms, which is so dangerous right now. With my Plush Care membership, I see my doctor from the comfort of my own home in my own jammies. And with Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and even have a prescription sent to my local pharmacy if needed, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after my visit, I can send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. And Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. With how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious, stressed out, depressed about what's going on in the world and who isn't, honestly, Plush Care doctors are there to help. They can discuss treatment options and provide prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been a breeze. Signing up was easy, very user-friendly. It just takes a minute. It's easy to schedule an appointment, like I said before. And I'm very comfortable and confident with my doctors because all Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the country, and they're all highly rated by their patients. So I get peace of mind that I'm getting quality care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it. And with Plush Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor, and neither should you. So no more excuses. Make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans. Again, plushcare.com slash dailybeans.
All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, I am joined by the writer, producer, and director of the 2019 documentary called American Times, A Journey from Madness to Forgiveness. Please welcome John Vanderpoel. John, welcome. Hey, thank you, Allison. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really great to talk to you and, and put a face to the name. I know everyone's just listening to audio, but... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, great to connect with... The Twitter community has been one of the things that's you know kept me sane in the last four years, I think. And so it's really nice to have... Um, you know, done podcasts like this or actually met in person, you know, before COVID and other things with, with a bunch of people. It's, it's, um, it's been special to meet people and, and to be part of that. Yeah, it is quite a community and uh, a very powerful and welcoming one as well. So I'm glad to have you here today. And I wanted to talk to you about this documentary uh, that was brought to my attention on Twitter. Uh, and it, again, it's called American Times. Tell us a little bit about what this documentary is about and what prompted you to create it. So I've always been a political junkie, you know, news junkie my whole life. I remember election night, 1980, when I was seven years old, you know, I mean, obviously I didn't have much context, but I remember seeing the returns and all that and just being kind of intrigued by it. And, you know, through most of my life, you know, through some, you know, good times and bad times or whatever, it still seemed like, you know, I was able to sort of keep the train on the tracks, you know, and then like a lot of people in 2016, it just, I mean, I, 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 it's not really hyperbole or exaggeration to say I almost had a mental breakdown. I mean, I just lost it. I was just I, not even, you know, election day on, even before that, I don't know. I just had a gut feeling that he was going to win and that, and even just, even if he hadn't won, it was just such a bitter, you know, just such a broken time. It's, you know, it has been for five years now. And so, I needed to do something with that. Um, and, and as a documentary filmmaker, oh, and then let me, let me back up too. Um, uh, you know, the, the sad truth is that probably, you know, on the back of a napkin math here, I, I don't know for sure, but I would probably 80% of the people I'm blood related to, you know, my aunts, uncles, cousins um, voted for Trump. You know, I come from a Midwestern farm family, you know, um, and um I would, you know, I would hazard a guess in the 80% range of the people that I'm related to voted for him. So then there was that too. I was just furious. I didn't, I didn't even want to see him anymore for, you know, I was just, you know, beside myself. And I think a lot of people can, you know, empathize and relate to that too. And so I decided, well, you know, I have this ability to, to make documentaries and, you know, a passion for it. And, a, and so this seems like, um, what I should do, the way to work through it and my own process. And then hopefully, you know, others can see it and, you know, get something from it too. And so that's what I did. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting um, because I've noticed I had the same thing, right? When, when 2016 happened, uh, I have to do something. Uh, I kind of felt the, the historic nature of the moment and and then especially when the special counsel was appointed, which is why we started the, the podcast about the Mueller investigation. It's like a purpose, right? Because I've always been a news junkie, too. I remember 1980. And if I remember correctly, I was the same age as you. If I remember correctly, back then the on the electoral map, the Democrats were red. If I if I'm remembering that correctly. It wow, was, that, I think you might be right. I don't remember that that part, but I think that you, you might be on it up in there. Yeah, I could be totally wrong. I, one, one of the listeners of this program will send me a correction if I am. But I remember there being a flip somewhere like it's blue now. OK, um, but 
you know, we needed to do something. I needed to do something. I needed to have purpose. And it seems like you had that, too. And I've noticed that in our community that we were talking about at the top uh, when we first started having this discussion just a, a mere minutes ago, which in this time can seem like years. Um, in this community, we have so many people who have relatives that are Trump supporters and don't quite know how to cope with that or grieve. It's almost a grieving process um, because, you know, we have this chosen family that we've picked up along the way in this community of support. But, you you know, you still have your family family. And a lot of people are dealing with that. And, and I think that that's something that's, you know, why it's so important that you had decided to make this film, uh, uh, this documentary, because, you know, how do we cope with that? How do we bridge those gaps? How do we have those conversations? So can you talk a little bit about uh, sort of what this documentary looks like and, and what people can expect from it? Yeah. Um, so in it, not just uh, blood relatives, of course, that's really deep people that have known you, you know, your whole life and you've known them. But I, I have friends that live in very progressive places, right? California and other places. And they say, well, I don't even know any Trump voters. And I say, you know what? I bet you one of your kids' favorite teachers or your kids' favorite soccer coach or piano teacher or something, you you do. You just don't know it. Like, we all love people who who voted for Trump. I think there's very few people whose silo is so complete that they don't have people that they deeply care about that voted for Trump. And that hurts, right? Um, and so how do we deal with that? And so, um, so that's – I first started – and by the way, I'm an only child. I'm an, I'm an ENTJ type personality. So I can be very forceful. You and I, you and I have a lot in common. Uh, uh, right. Only 2% uh, of Americans are ENTJs. Yes. The least uh, common, uh, yeah, Myers-Briggs personality type. And that's probably good because uh, the no. world can't handle too many more of us. I am, I am one of them. Uh, we are the field marshals. We are the leaders of leaders and we're very pushy and stubborn and Steve Jobsy. So I'm, I'm 100%. Exactly. And there, and, and that, that is the, the downside of it. There's upsides to it, of course, too, but I'm very acutely aware of the downside where you sort of can just sort of impulsively just bring down the hammer. Right. And just start tell people exactly why and where they're wrong and, and end up hurting people. Right. And it's, um, so there was a lot of that, you know, for me, in 2016 and beyond where just, you know, the fury, the fury just came out, you know, um, in unproductive ways for myself and others. Um, and so, um, so what I did initially was go talk to some, some people who are real masters of sort of, uh, nonviolent communication or, you know, difficult conversations we we're having with people where there's uh, real disagreements. Um, so the very first interview I did was with Daryl Davis. Um, he's the black man who, has over the last 30, 40 years has befriended dozens of members of the KKK and gotten them to leave. Um, and it's an amazing story. So again, whenever anybody says to me, oh, forget it, can't be done, you know, you're wasting your time, like it's just a waste, you know, I point to Daryl and I say, look, if he can do it, I mean, we all can't, we're not, he's an, an exceptional human being. He's a master of this. We're all, you know, vast majority of us are never going to get close to where he's at, but it's a something to, it, it's it know that it's possible to get beyond this, um, you know, uh, these deep divisions. And the way he does it is he just shows up and and has one on one conversations and he shows them uh, empathy and respect. And it's almost like a trick in a way where they don't 
there's they're just human nature is if somebody shows you one-on-one kindness and empathy and respect you kind of just reciprocate mm-hmm. it's you know it takes a really really broken person not to kind of just instinctively reciprocate that and then so then these these kkk members start to you know uh realize hey this guy's a good guy he's you know they that's the thing is ultimately it is based on ignorance and he's showing them hey you know just just through his humanity the power of his example kind of you know uh bringing down the walls of that ignorance so so he was amazing um and then i went and talked with robert gonzalez who uh Marshall Rosenberg kind of created this um, this psychological tool, uh, philosophy called nonviolent communication, um, which is actually it's a real practical set of tools. It's not just a sort of a high-minded philosophy or whatever. It's a very practical set of tools that you can use in any conflict, whether it's uh, you know you know a husband and wife having an issue or uh, a, you know uh, siblings or or whether it's the West Bank or Rwanda or something where you know where there's been real you know, violence amongst, you know, uh, cultures and stuff, um, it, you can use the same tools. Uh, and so went and talked to Robert, got some advice from him and some others talked to Christian Picciolini, who's the former white supremacist who helps people leave that world. I was going to bring, I was going to bring that one up because that, you know, that's also got to be a very difficult approach to, for a, for a former neo-Nazi white supremacist to speak to current uh, members of people, you know, people who are on the top 30 list at the Southern Poverty Law Center for white supremacy and get them to leave and sort of wait, you know, sort of have that, um, that empathy in that conversation. And I know we've had uh, former Republican, former Trump supporter David Weissman on this show, who, who was reached out to by Sarah Silverman on Twitter with kindness, shown kindness, and now and became a Warren supporter, now full on Biden supporter, full on. Democrat, and he is revealing over time on Twitter, showing some of his old tweets and then talking, deconstructing them and talking about how, how things are different uh, now for him and, and what sort of made him come to those realizations. It's really, it's, it's, it's impressive. One-on-one kindness, empathy and kindness and respect conversations is how the work is done. You know, it's not, and that's what these, all, all these people say, that's all, all um, Daryl, Christian, Robert, on and on. It's not done mass wholesale. It's done through one-on-one conversations with empathy and respect. So, and I always say too, like, yeah, so it, it is a slow road to change, right? However, theoretically, let's just say there were, there's 320 million people in the country or whatever, give or take. Let's just say there's 160 million Trump supporters and 160 million Biden supporters, right? For, for rough math. Even though it's the long road to change, theoretically, we could all, we could have this, uh, start this, you know, be quite a ways down the journey by tomorrow. If all, if everybody just sat down and had one one-on-one conversation with, you know, somebody who voted for the other side, we could be already doing this work and making progress by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean, by the way, I want to be very clear on this. We don't, there's, you don't have to compromise your values or we're not normalizing the racism and all these terrible things we're just having a one on we're just acknowledging that this person who is exhibiting behavior that we don't agree with is still a human being mm-hmm. you know uh, so it's it's we're not normalizing the behavior or the the negative aspects that but we are just just sitting down and having a one on one conversation 
human being to human being. Well, it's almost like a cult membership, right? Uh, and and so, you know, when we looked at the Nexium cult, for example, there were people that were drawn into it that became evil people, and then there were people that were drawn into it that did not and were able to uh, escape, uh, for lack of a better term. But I do, I do need to, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that there are many who aren't ready to or able to reach out and have these discussions or frankly just don't want to. And I think we need to respect that wish as well. There's a lot of, you know, we've, we've sort of been in an abusive relationship for the past uh, four or five years. And so I think we also need to, you know, respect that there are some folks who either don't want to, aren't comfortable, shouldn't have to, uh, and, and will not, for example. And I, you know, we need to respect that too. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, it's, it's only people who have this ability to have those discussions and reach across to, to these folks that are exceptional people. Um, they run the gamut and, and I, I do respect that some simply aren't ready or willing to do that if that 100 percent, absolutely um you know i understand i i i'm a educated white male right came from a, a family that loved me the only reason i was in the crosshairs of maga you know the on the bad guys list or whatever on there from their side is because i'm a bleeding heart progressive other than that i check off all the boxes of all the things that they support right so i understand that a lot of people who felt much more personally attacked by Trump and his supporters and were actually hurt or disenfranchised. Absolutely. I, I, I have a hundred percent understanding and empathy and support for them in their not wanting to engage in, and go there, you know, as far as starting to dialogue with Trump supporters too. everyone, you know, should only do what, what they're comfortable with. And it's not like I'm great at it either. I get, I'm still furious and get angry at this stuff all the time too. But the reality is, you know, again, 80% of my blood relatives voted for Trump. My direct next door neighbors who love my daughter and are so, my daughter loves them. They're so kind. We, you know, they're nice people. They voted for Trump. I don't want to excommunicate these people out of my life, you know, so what do we do? Mm. Yeah, see, that's that's hard for me because, you know, if, you know for, first of all, I say we can't it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's disingenuous to, to yell at people to, to scream at them that they need to change and that their views are wrong, but then give them no space to do so when they want to come over. Uh, but on the other side, I, there's a, a large part of me that has given up talking, uh, to, to Trump supporters, just given up on it because it's, I, f I feel like, and especially in the age of social media, you only get so far and uh you know you, you talk about the nonviolent uh, communication and like let's be clear here that doesn't mean like you're not punching people it's it's a it's a way of of speaking to to folks i don't have that i haven't mastered that and and so for me it's been personally uh sort of required to just to actually excommunicate those folks um uh from from my sphere uh to 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 move the negativity out but, you know, it's for those who are interested in learning those techniques, uh, I think that this documentary is just absolutely fascinating. And, and 
anyone who's interested in watching it, can you let folks know where they can find this? Yeah. So all the there's I so I started out with the idea to make it a feature length documentary. I, I made one feature length before called Exported from Michigan. Um, you know, ninety minute range. Uh, and and then I ended up deciding to break this one up into into short episodes. It's just easy, it's just more uh, contemporary way people consume stuff, right? And so it's it's thirteen short episodes. They're all free at americantimesfilm.com. And, uh, you know, we've gotten really good response. Uh, I've had at this point, I don't even know, three, four dozen people at least, you know, tell me that episodes moved them to tears and they're just so, you know, happy to, uh, you know, have taken the time to check it out and gotten real value from it. And so I feel really, um, you know, humbled and great, grateful that I had the opportunity to make this and to, to, to make this part of my contribution um, to getting through all this. Um, you know, nobody told me on my first film that that they were moved to tears, and now I've now I've heard it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. You know, people really moved by it, and so um, so that feels good that people are getting something from it. You know, yeah, and for me, for something I'm not able to do or not willing to do, uh, to see others that are is is quite moving, uh, and I I I encourage if if anybody's you know, I, I encourage people to to check this out. So. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, writer, producer, director. The documentary is called American Times, A Journey from Madness to Forgiveness. John Vanderpool, it's been excellent talking to you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. You too, Allison. I really appreciate it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Daily Beans. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Echelon, an incredible company providing the best in connected fitness at an affordable price. That's the key. So if you guys are like me, like I said before, uh, you know, the gyms are closed. I need to work out. It has to be fun and engaging and new and exciting. You need to check out Echelon. Echelon knows there's no substitute for the rush of endorphins and the feeling of a blissful accomplishment from a good workout. So the folks at Echelon pride themselves on being able to keep you uh, healthy and active so you can achieve your fitness goals and enjoy doing it at the same time. There's service is amazing. One Echelon membership lets up to five household members receive all the benefits. I love their huge variety of equipment and the diverse array of the programs they offer. Echelon has connected bikes that give you an immersive studio experience. They have smart rowers where you can row down the best waterways in the world. That's hard to say. Row down the best waterways in the world. And they have the Reflex Smart Mirrors for personal training at the touch of a button. And just one app to connect them all. Echelon United provides access to content throughout Echelon's products, and they have thousands of on-demand classes with 30-plus accredited world-class trainers, and they have celebrity guest pop-in instructors, too. Work out with the Echelon community, inspire each other to climb the leaderboards. Echelon has been featured everywhere. You can find it in Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, Time, People. The Wall Street Journal says Echelon has cracked the code. Yahoo Finance says Echelon is where fitness and technology unite at a price you can afford. So if you want to turn things around and get in the best shape of your life, check them out at echelonfit.com today. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And it's Friday, so that means Shira is here. What's up, Amy Carrero in Hawaii? How are you? Oh, uh, aloha. Uh, aloha. This is Shira Aloha edition. I am living my perfectly aloha life. I have to say, um, I for someone who has not traveled at all during this pandemic, I have traveled a lot for work, mostly just to Canada and then Hawaii because my husband is a guest starring on um, uh, Magnum P.I. And... <laughs> I'm having the time of my life. Just, well, just like takeout, like eating takeout, going to the beach where nobody else is. I'm just really, I'm, 
I'm bringing the sunshine, is all I got to say. Well, thanks for bringing it to us. Mahalo. Mahalo. Uh, Let's do these good news confessions corrections. Um, This is going to be fun. Uh, It is the wrap-up for the end of the week. Don't forget, at 4 p.m. today, we have our 4 p.m. Pacific time. Not Hawaii time, but Pacific time. We have our... We have our happy hour, so that'll be fun, too. You have to be a patron to do that. I gave earlier in the show, I gave the information on how to do that, but you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and um, patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote, however you want to do it. And uh, let's kick this off. I'm going to kick it off with a, a an entry here from Kim, pronouns she and her. Kim says, hi, ladies. I've been a huge fan since hearing AG on Trumpcast in 2018. During the pandemic, the Daily Beans has been my go-to podcast for the news, and I always look forward to the confessions and the good news. Well... Today, I've got some of my own good news to share. But let me give you a little background first. I'm a professional classical singer. Oh, before the pandemic hit, I used, yes, I used to spend anywhere from two to four weeks a month on the road, traveling around the world, singing with pro choral ensembles and doing concert soloist work. How cool is that? As U.S. COVID cases began to swell in mid-March, my first gig was canceled. By April 1st, every gig for the foreseeable future has been suspended or canceled. By June, experts were projecting that our industry would likely not return to normal until 2023 at the earliest. This was devastating. This was on so many levels. I felt like the career I had worked so hard to cultivate and had poured my heart and soul into was over in a heartbeat. Over the summer, I participated in the occasional online video project, but those projects were usually more frustrating than satisfying and paid very little. In August, I got an email that one of the ensembles I sing with wanted to do a bubble-style project. At first, I was going to turn it down. I mean, doing a gig with 18 singers during a pandemic? Are they crazy? Their safety protocols looked adequate, but how do you enforce the rules? And do I trust the other singers to follow them? I decided to risk it, going off of what I know about my kind. Singers tend to be extra illness adverse, germaphobes during normal times, let alone a pandemic. Last time I checked, lung damage is not on any singer's wish list. The riskiest part of the trip would likely have been the travel, and boy was I right. The airports were full of unmasked idiots and busy enough that socially distancing was pretty much impossible. Also, why are the airlines still serving snacks on the plane? Can we not give people a reason to take off their mask when we're sandwiched in like sardines in a metal tube being flown across the continent? (laughs) I agree. Flung. Excuse me. Flung across the continent. I thankfully made it to Boston, uh, from Boston to Tucson safely. After 10 days of quarantine and multiple brain pokes, I was able to spend four glorious weeks doing my favorite super spreader activity. In 28 days... We performed 22 outdoor socially distanced concerts and recorded four different concert programs to be streamed online. Some of my favorite moments included writing postcards to voters with my fellow singers on our rehearsal breaks, listening to the Daily Beans with my roommates on our long drives to Phoenix for recording sessions where we'd flip the bird and yell, fuck you, at any driver sporting (laughs) those gross, obnoxious Trump flags which was unfortunately a regular occurrence, and hosting a Bavarian-themed dinner party for my fellow singers. Since we had no contact with anyone outside of our bubble, it was amazing to be able to let down our hair and pretend for one night we were back to normal times, drinking and eating together and saying goodbye with a hug. However... The best moment of all came three weeks in on three weeks in on one day we recorded Handel's Messiah. Oh, God, that's a hard one. On our way to Phoenix, we heard the good news that Biden had won. I've never sung the Hallelujah Chorus more joyfully. If you have any Handel fans out there or anyone generally interested in supporting the arts, I've included a link to the concert video below, which just dropped this weekend. It's available through Christmas, December 25th. The link will be in the listener links portion of the newsletter, and you will pro- you will get to hear the most joyous hallelujah chorus ever sung. Oh. Wow, that's so great. I remember doing, 
I did a wow. community choir of choral and ensemble um, winners. We did a we did Handel's Messiah. I sang, I sang soprano. Uh, what? I murdered my voice. That <laughs> I bet. Wait, do you have video evidence? I I want to hear this or or tape or something. No, nope, no evidence. I'm sure someone can dig it up. Some of our internet sleuthians can figure it out. But that's the um, that's the beauty of being an alto is that you can mm. you can sing soprano. And I was like, I'm gonna give it a shot. True Seems that. hard. It it was. Yes, but you know what? But at least with us, with the at least with soprano, you can sing along to the melody most of the time. I feel like yeah. alto parts are always harder because you have to sing the harmony, and if you're not, if you don't have a great ear, then that that can be harder. Yeah, or if you don't read music, yeah, it can be. True, true, um, true. But this is so great. I'm, I love this, and it's perfect for the holiday season. Uh, and <laughs> for pet tax, she sent her cockatiel Poncho, an avid Mozart fan. Brownie points to anyone who can name the tune. And uh, we'll have that link <laughs> in the letter, too. So thank you so much. What a great story. What what wonderful news. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I would love, love, love to hear Kim sing with her fellow choir mates. Okay. Um, next up, we have Anonymous, pronouns he, him. Dear Beans Queens, I am so excited to finally write into the podcast. I live in Toronto, Ooh. Canada, and have been working for my country's top national news broadcaster as a graphic designer. I started five Ooh. years ago just before Trump was elected and made it a goal of mine to stay until the Cheeto was removed from office. Oh, man. It has been a long, grueling period, to say the least. I understand the emotional and mental stress you all go through each day in your crusade to keep the public armed with accurate and truthful information. You all deserve a Nobel Peace Prize or a Pulitzer, to say the least. I began searching for a new job, knowing that the big baby was going to be voted out, and uh, I'm happy to announce that I recently found one. I will begin teaching full-time, ooh, as a college professor at a school at the school I graduated from, and I couldn't be happier. I feel proud knowing that I've done my best to keep my country well-informed. Thanks to the pod, uh, I have always been able to point out very detailed, specific facts some of my colleagues have missed when reporting on American politics and gain some respect from the writers i will do my best to take the enthusiasm you all you've all instilled in your listeners each day and bring that forward to my classroom lord knows i'm going to be a very dramatic and outgoing teacher (laughs) congratulations i love that oh good job so cool congratulations and thank you for sticking by yes i've so i've often thought about teaching um oh you'd be a great teacher you'd be the coolest teacher teaching some college yeah i'd be like all right fucking everybody listen to this shit you ready for this shit i feel like your syllable like in your syllabus there will be like a mandatory like a requirement of at least five fucks per paper yeah and and also i would put easter eggs in the syllabus just to make sure people would read it (laughs) exactly i hear that's a problem I hear that's a problem. Yeah. You're like, uh, no pants Fridays. How's that? <laughs> fuck with them. Uh, no, I'm good for no pants Fridays, especially if it's Zoom. I mean, you know, why not? Yeah. I, I remember I sat for my uh, my oral uh, dissertation defense. I was uh, on vacation in Hawaii. It was the only time they could schedule my, uh, my oh orals. Oh, my gosh. And up top, I had a suit on, but on the bottom, I had a bikini bottom and a, and a rainbow tutu. <laughs> And like go-go, like blue glitter go-go boots up to my thighs. And so that was my... 
wait. That had to give you so much confidence. Like, truly, that would just make me feel so happy. It's already such a, like, nerve-wracking but also, like, exciting moment. And you just feel like, I'm fooling all of y'all bitches. If you only yes. knew. <laughs> Do you have any questions about the physical therapy clinics at the Department of Veterans Affairs in La Jolla? Do you? Bring it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, especially since one of my d- data sets was corrupt, so I couldn't have any findings. So it was pretty easy. I'm like, there's just no findings. Sorry. Oh Sorry. Sorry about <laughs> it. You want to see my boots? Mm. <laughs> look these are my boots for my power girl costume at comic-con eat it all right next up from lauren pronouns she and her hello lovely ladies this is a good news follow-up a few weeks ago or potentially seven years ago time is weird right now i wrote that my puppy got attacked and almost died but miraculously survived well update he not only survived but he's doing so well and almost back to normal less than two months after the attack He has a lot of scars, but his hair's growing back in most places. And you know what covers up scars in areas where hair hasn't come back? Why? A wonderful Christmas sweater, which is exactly (laughs) what he wore in his holiday pictures. And every day since, because he growls at me if I try to take it off. Oh, he loves it. So, attached are his very handsome holiday photos for your enjoyment. He looks a bit like someone in a hostage video, but I swear he had fun and maybe peed on some (laughs) of the fake snow. Look at his face. He actually looks really happy, I think. And just, oh my God, the one in the box, the last one. It's too cute. Oh my God. There's I, too much. Oh, this overload. What an adorable little toad. What a oh baby. I'm so glad that he's doing well. And what I love about it is he's like, this is my armor, like my Christmas sweater. It makes me warm and like I feel more confident in it. And I just, I'm totally vibing. I love how he. <laughs> I love how he growls when you try to take him. And I can hear the little, the tiny, the smaller dog growl. I used to have this Pekingese. And if you tried to take his toy away from him, he would snort. And and it was just adorable. With those eyeballs that go like 360 Mm. degrees around. Oh my gosh. Well, that's super cute. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Um, The next one is from Sherry, pronouns she, her. And thanks for the thoughtful discussion on pronouns, uh, Sherry writes. Greetings. I have so much good news. First, I have become a patron. Second, second, listen to me. Second, the two tiny kittens we adopted this summer are now well on their way to becoming full out house terrors and are perfecting their Christmas tree scaling skills. (laughs) But most importantly, this weekend, my husband will be bringing his mom from Florida to our huge new to us old house in Kansas. I know, but Topeka hasn't been so bad. And we were informed yesterday that we had an offer on our old place in South Carolina. Yes. So we will all be together this Christmas, for which I am very grateful. My pet tax is attached. Leonardo and Antonio, two of the eight indoor and four outdoor cats in my life. And my standard poodles, Zeus, 10 years old, and Apollo, two years old, being just them. Apollo is the gray blue dog. Uh, that's Tony snuggling with Zeus on the couch. Thanks so much for making 2020 much less horrible with your wits, laughs, generous spirit, and solid information. I I have so many questions. Okay. Cat in a tree. I know. 12 cats. I, I, I have so many questions. Cheaper by the dozen, right? Cheaper by the dozen. And there's Zeus there. And then... And then, and oh, oh look at the one poodle God. sitting on top of the other poodle. See, that's the energy I want. Oh, yeah. With the red velvet blanket. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then the two oranges. 
The two orange oh, kitties cuddled. Wait, I have a question uh, on cats, and I guess I have one every week now because unfortunately, I'm highly allergic to cats. It makes me so sad. I'm getting allergy shots. Hopefully, in five years, I can uh, have a cat. But until then, um, so what? What designates an outdoor cat versus an indoor cat? Like, how do you make that decision, or is it a situation where maybe the outdoor cats were already outdoor cats, and you've sort of adopted them by like feeding them? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, and and sometimes they sneak out and then come home. Um, okay. Yeah, mostly. You, you know, usually it's best, even if you are adopting a cat that was once an outdoor cat, to just have indoor cats because they don't get the fleas and stuff or they, they aren't right, uh, right, right. in danger of, of getting hit by a car or being out in the city or, you know, sometimes right. if you live by a canyon, there's coyotes. Uh, so it really depends on where you live and, and you know, if the cat can handle themselves or, you know, because we have, I have the two. One of them's fully indoor. The other one's indoor-outdoor. But when he goes outside, he only hangs out in the backyard. So it's cool. He doesn't go far. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. Man, cats are very complicated animals. And I love that about them. <laughs> I have mm-hmm, to say. They are. They're very weird. Uh-oh, guess what? Dun-dun. It's time for Beans Court. Oh, my God. Yes. There are two cases on the docket today. Okay. Petty grievances. <laughs> Here we up. go. First up, this is a rewrite-in from John, he, him, and Jade, she, her, comedian. In response to your order for the court's consideration, the last message I left on the wall with the hair was, I love John. <laughs> I sh- I'd show you pictures, but I like that Amy is part of the show, and I kind of want her to keep coming back on Friday, so I will spare her eyes from this abomination. Instead, I will submit the best picture ever, uh, totally not trying to bribe the court. These are my pet ferrets, Princess Buttercup, (laughs) Princess Buttercup, and Petunia. Every year, I take a glorious picture to hand out for white elephant gifts, shirts, mugs, posters, etc. Since holiday parties aren't happening this year, thanks, Obama. Consider this to be my white elephant gift to your <gasps> listeners. Wait, this is very, very good. Um, <laughs> this complicates matters. It really mm. complicates things for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So she, so we had last week. We had a case uh, between John and Jade. And uh, John was uh, filing suit because his wife was spelling things on the shower walls with her hair that had come out when she washed it. Hair. And uh, Amy almost barfed. I don't have a problem with the hair. In fact, I actually put in a minute order requiring that they tell me what they're writing on the wall with said hair because I think that that's very important (laughs) to the case. Now that we know it's I love John... Yes. How do you rule, Amy? Okay, look. Uh, can I can I can I bring in some of my ex-Catholic good Catholic churchgoer expertise here? I want to say the the thing that disturbs me the most was not the writing. It was the fact that there had been a pile of hair that that had been left for a, a very long time. And that to me is <laughs> the, the most egregious thing. In the corner. That I can't yeah. even think about too long. So, how about the I'm going to do like a crossover thing where I'm going to say you are going to you can be forgiven, but you have to do a penance. And the penance is you have to clean or at least wash the hair that you leave behind down the drain for just seven days straight and see if it's a habit that you can keep up for a while. And then when John gets a little naughty again, you can start leaving it. But I'm just saying, let's just try it. Like, let's try it. Let's try it and see what happens. All right. It's so ordered. Uh, Gavel, 
And um, I think I think that's a good ruling. Now we had dis- a discussion of tub shrooms, also, which I have purchased but not yet installed. And somebody put out on Twitter, like, "Okay, uh, it's Christmas, and you have to give me the gift of the last thing you purchased." And I responded, "A tub shroom," and <laughs> tagged right. tub shroom on Twitter because they have a Twitter account. And there were so many people who responded, you, that's from the the thread in the group about the hair in the shower. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's really, that's really great. I want to know more about this tub shroom. When you, when you pull it out, does it have all the hair that has been caught in it? Or does it somehow like dissolve it into like. (laughs) Like like a tiny Venus hair trap that just eats the hair so you don't have to deal with it? No, you you do have to pull it out. And clean the clean the hair out of the tub shroom. Yeah, it doesn't. You know what? I truly, I would rather remove my diva cup fifty times in a row than remove (laughs) a hair shrub. (laughs) Oh god! What if you accidentally used a tub shroom instead of a diva cup? Oh my god! I can't. Oh, that's too much. Okay, we have to go on. Okay, request from an injunctive relief from Petty Court from Petty Court Junction. If it pleases the court, plaintiff Jane Uh Sneezy Doe. If it pleases the court, plaintiff, James, Sneezy Doe, defendant, John, bless you, (laughs) Statement of facts. I love this guy. We live together and are very simpatico in a lot of ways. Uh, The ways that really matter, anyway. He does this. Oh, he does do this one thing that I need the court to weigh in on, though. He will not let me finish a sneeze. Oh, God. If he is around and hears me winding up to let one out, he says, bless you. And 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 the need to sneeze is gone every damn time. It is thoroughly frustrating, and I don't get the temporary euphoria from releasing a good sneeze. He tells me he wants to stop, but he can't. It's like a reflex for him. I am asking the court. Uh, the court requires some sort of deterrent or diversion program for the defendant, or I may explode from unrequited sneezes. I have the perfect solution. Mm, yeah, I have some thoughts on this too. I th- I feel like maybe we have the same solution, right? Well, Do we? yeah, because first of all, this is a crime. Obstruction of a sneeze is a is a crime. Criminal. Um, and you know, I used to play <laughs> I used to play this game with my sister when we were kids. We'd go horseback riding. Uh, we were because we I would teach horseback riding at camp every summer. And you ride past Fun. a pine tree or a coniferous mm-hmm. tree. You would grab a couple of pine tre- pine needles, and we would take a pine needle in in, in between in each hand, right? In uh, yeah. grabbed grasped between the index finger and the thumb in each, shove them up our noses. Oh, good. Until. Grief. Until one of us sneezed first. It was a sneeze. It was who could sneeze the fastest contest. And we would sit there like, uh, 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 with our eyes watering. And then somebody would sneeze. And we would be like, ah! <laughs> You can also do this with napkins. If you twist the ends into points. Yeah. You can yes. have sneeze, sneeze race. Yes. And you can do this with COVID tests, as it were, too. I haven't gotten many of them in Canada. I can tell you I sneezed every time. But... Here's the thing here. And I really believe this. I think that sneezes are like an eighth of an orgasm. And if Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. partner will not let you finish the sneeze, the only thing that is acceptable as a deterrent is I'm just saying you want to you want to finish in other ways. You got to let me sneeze. Paint the picture uh-huh. for him. I'm just saying, Ooh. you know what I mean? You don't have to actually do it. But I think you can explain. Yes. So I think next time they're having sex, yeah. Yes. Right before he's about to climax, you just say bless <laughs> <Yes>. you. 
<laughs> or say or say grandma or like his mother's ba- baseball. name. Baseball. <laughs> Barbara. Ooh. Oh God, he'll never do it again. Yeah, but bless you would just be so much. Bless you would be so. It just you know <laughs> it would it would it would really drive home the point. It that, really would. Uh, it really would. And it's a little more chic, you know, than saying your mom's name. Yeah, and then just file your nails. Yeah. <laughs> she just she'll just keep like a nail file like behind one of the pillows, start filing yes, her nails. And be like, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. nail file, nail file. Did I prevent you from finishing? Ooh. Yeah, I really think that this is, you know, what this is the only way to get him to let you finish your sneezes because, and and they're important. I think it's a way. It's not only the way that your nose gets rid of debris, but also I just feel like it's your body reminding you, like, hey, man, like we're we're capable of like release, you know. <laughs> yeah. See, I remember I was dating this guy uh, for a while who played Dungeons and Dragons, and I do now, and I did then. So you know, no. Yeah, I love it. <clears throat> no shame. And um, he was way into it. He's doing this tabletop game. I come over to his house, and he's like, "Just have a seat. Watch watch Red versus Blue for a while, while we finish our final battle." And I was like, "Okay." Uh-huh. And he leaves the room, and then comes back rolling out some speakers. And then he okay. hits play, and it's the music from the battle between Kirk and Spock when Spock's going through <laughs> Pone Far in the episode A Muck Time in the original series. So it's like, dun, 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 And I'm like, baby, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, this yeah. is my battle music. This is my battle music. So I'm like, okay. Oh, man. Filed that nugget away in my head. Yep. Cut to a couple weeks later, we're making love and well, we're about to. And I say, hang on, hang on Uh a second. (laughs) And I roll the speakers in and I start and I hit play and it's Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, you know, dun, 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 dun. And I start doing this sexy dance and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, this is is my lovemaking music. This is my battle music, baby. And uh, he <laughs> left. So and then you broke up. Oh, my God. That is, that's hilarious. That reminds me, I don't know what movie it was. I, I still don't, rem- I can't remember. But there was a movie in which the characters were going to have sex for the first time. And it was supposed to be this, like, really romantic thing. And the guy puts on um, uh, the song from The Music Man, the 76 trombones at the big parade. And they, like, <laughs> have sex to that song. And, like... I'm just saying, like, it's really funny what, what kind, you know, what gets people in any kind of mood. Um, so, hey, to each their own. Maybe he's out there making love to his battle music with his uh, with a fellow um, D&D <laughs> lover. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, thank you for sending in uh, your good news stories. Uh, this was a great walk down memory lane, I must say. Uh, and yeah, so you've, you've got your, uh, we've, we, we dealt out some penance. We made some judgments. We gaveled in a decision. We've declared obstruction of sneeze and you have, you, you have a new idea on how to stop it. So take, take that forth, Jane. Uh, try that. Let us know. Yeah. You know, take two, call us in the morning. Let us know how it works. We're mixing all the metaphors here. But we got to throw everything at this problem. This relationship will be salvaged. We will, we will save it for you. Take two. They're small. They're a wafer thin. All right. That's it. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here, Amy? Um, uh, No, other than to say that 
freaking the food in Honolulu is delicious. I already I, I did like a tight five with AG about how good the food is here. But I'm just saying if anyone's around, you know, get Leonard's donuts, these Portuguese donuts. I had them today for an after lunch of snack slash dessert. They're really delicious. I you know what? I don't know. I feel like I should include maybe I'll just text you a list of all the restaurants I've been to. and You can put it in the newsletter just in case people want to book travel. Also, International travel for next summer, soup's cheap right now for anybody that needs to hear it. Oh, interesting. Good to know. Yeah. All right. Good well, to know. Thank you very much. Mahalo to you. And, Mahalo uh, and aloha. Of the islands. May the spirit of the islands be, be with you. Aloha. Hello. Amen. Goodbye. Aloha. Aloha. Uh, all right. Wait, can I can I tell you? Yeah. Just real quick. Well, you okay? So Tulsi Gabbard, obviously the worst. Um, one time my husband just like out of sh- just to troll, um, r- like tweeted her Aloha asshole, and she retweeted him and wrote Aloha. <laughs> reminds me of, reminds me of when I I, I tweeted Papadopoulos. Uh, George <laughs> Papadopoulos said something about you know I don't know how he was set up or whatever and I yeah. I just retweeted him I quote tweeted him and said isn't it time for some coffee and then he quote tweeted yes. me uh, with a picture of him drinking coffee why yes it is <laughs> oh that's pretty funny I, I kind of love it when you troll someone and they're like not even they don't even take it personally it's kind of great yep. I love it yep. awesome all right everybody uh, we'll see you at the happy hour uh, if you're a patron if not become a patron it's so much fun and until uh, when we meet again Monday morning Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them is the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>